financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. We've already had a couple of false starts on this podcast, but hopefully this recording sticks. Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK is joined by Paul Kaharski. And I've been corrected so many times on what he's actually doing these days that I'll just leave it up to him. But Paul and I go way back to the ESPN days when uh, I covered the AFC East, he covered the AFC South. He's based in Nashville and he's joining Matthew Fairburn of the athletic who also covers the bills. Jonah Bronstein of uh, the new Bronstein times. You can ask him all about that, Paul. Uh, Paul Kaharski uh, joining us, and uh, I'm excited for it because he's uh, porky, and uh, we're going to have a good time. These guys must be so annoyed by me already. The false stars <laughs> you have no audio, asshole. <laughs> I'm live. I'm there live. You are. <laughs> I was never muted there. I, I'm telling you, a lot of this technology issue that's going on with us is on your side, and it's being blamed on me. <laughs> and all I'm doing is trying to be a good guest, an entertaining guest. Your friends here think I'm a jerk because we had false starts and we talked to each other this way. <laughs> and I've done nothing but try to come on here, advertise my, uh, my products, and inform people about a team that not enough people know about. So I, I'm really an innocent victim here. And I, I don't know how this happened. I was driving backwards to get to this appointment, like Jim Rockford. Yeah, when we first logged on with, uh, with Paul, he's actually got his arm draped over the passenger seat, uh, chin over his shoulder, looking behind him. Yeah, this was like Rockford Files or Beretta, maybe. There was a good scene going. Uh, but I, but now I mean, he's... I I'm sure your pod does very well and everything, but I think none of you should wear hats. I don't know why everybody feels like they should wear hats and look like slobs on their pods. I mean, put on a collared shirt, at least like this, and look like you're going to work. Well, Paul, some of us have hair, and when you're not having a good hair day, you got to hide it with a, with a hat. If you have hair, then you should be really proud to not wear a hat. If anybody should be wearing a hat, it's me, and I never wear a hat on the air. Nor should you guys. I'm done with the instructive part, but take my advice. It'll help your product. Thank you, you Paul. This Why is don't you tell us, tell us <laughs> about all your products? PaulKuharski.com. I think the most successful uh, personal website anybody's done when they were, uh, you know, not renewed by someplace like ESPN.com because they didn't get along with crappy middle management like you didn't either. And, uh, you know, so I charge a monthly fee or you can pay a yearly fee and then you get an unfiltered guy who says whatever the bleep he wants about the Titans without middle management saying, hey, which Titan would make the best WWE wrestler? Give us a piece on that. So I don't write any BS like that. I write what I want. My people like me writing what I want. 
Um, and then the radio station here tried to get control of my website, which was preposterous. And the Titans were meddling in that. And, uh, and so I'm at Outkick 360, where I do the same radio show I did with my, my two guys, Chad Withrow and Jonathan Hutton, for nine years. And we're allowed to talk about whatever we want. It's all sports and the pop culture in our lives. But nobody's telling us what we can talk about or can't talk about. For the record, I was renewed. I for the record, I you were renewed and you I declined. declined. That was big. I At that stage, that was really big. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it was a powerful feeling, actually, to be able to say I don't I don't need it. Um, Mine was a powerless feeling. I'll admit it was powerless feeling. But everybody tells you at a stage like that, that you'll come out better in the end, which is, I thought, be at, can we swear on here or no? Yeah, I already called you an asshole. I thought that was bullshit, but it turned out to be true. But this is enough about me. You want to talk about like Julio Jones and Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry. But here's the thing. We want to uh, set a foundation for the podcast. Now you got barking dogs. You got hats. No collars and barking dogs. This is a real damn circus. You it's a hoot nanny. Yeah. Hey, we actually do well. We actually do. Uh, we do well. We have, hey, we're sponsored. We make money. Are you going to hold um, up a sheet of paper with the sponsor's name on it like you did last time I was there? That never happened. Yeah, it was your yeah, radio thing. You were around three microphones and you had pieces oh, of that paper was the Oh, well, that the was desk. the radio station. That was the, ra yeah. the radio station did that. that no, we... We, I do actual reads, and uh, there's a graphic element on the YouTube, and uh, they get uh, they get um, plugs on the uh, on the Twitter. Good. I so, hope that they're yeah. paying you what you're worth more than. What, this is my plea for them to raise what they're paying you right now, for but for it mostly to go to the other two guys. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Um, Everybody needs a good CPA. Paul, the reason I wanted you to lay out all of the places where people can find you, of course, we have a, a Buffalo-dominated uh, audience. Uh, and I believe, and the reason I wanted to have you on, is to talk about the probably the overlooked Bills rival heading into 2021 because everybody wants to focus on the Kansas City Chiefs. And let's measure ourselves against the team that beat us in the AFC Championship game. But the Titans have always been pretty good and, of course, just got better with the addition of Julio Jones uh, in a trade. Uh, so now uh, an offense uh, that Todd Downing, the offensive coordinator, seems to uh, have a, a lot at his disposal, uh, similarly to uh, what Brian Dable has uh, in, in Buffalo. Yeah, I like the Bills a lot. I, I would think Bills fans weren't too happy with that result last year after the long COVID layoff for the Titans and all that controversy. And uh, everybody expected the Titans to come out dead and flat. And instead, they dominated uh, down here. It seems like they're playing every year now, too. Um, and, and I think they'll be two of the teams uh, fighting and pushing at Kansas City, though I don't know if either of them have, uh, have quite what it takes. Titans offense should be pretty good. I mean, they lost Corey Davis and Johnny Smith, two good players. Smith, I think, really hurts. Uh, and they haven't done anything at tight end. But Julio Jones practiced for the first time uh, yesterday. Yes, it's an OTA and all of that. But you want to know how healthy he is, right? And uh, he jumped right in. He looked fast, energetic, um, did everything cut-wise, motion-wise, movement-wise. And I think Ryan Tannehill throwing to uh, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones as co-number ones or whatever you want to call them. Josh Reynolds well cast as a three. 
and all of that keyed around Derrick Henry in the backfield and the play action it creates offensive line that's only replacing one guy that gets Taylor Lewan back at left tackle. Um, if Todd Downing, like you mentioned, uh, can pick up a- anything close to what Arthur Smith left behind, should be a pretty potent offense. And then the question is, can their defense go from like 29th and all-time bad third down, doesn't sack the quarterback, to middle of the pack? If so, this team should be in the thick of things. I think it's a better team than the Colts. I don't know why everybody likes the Colts so much. Um, and I'd put them in a class with the Bills and, and, uh, and maybe, maybe Cleveland and Baltimore um, as, as the teams chasing Kansas City and what should be a really entertaining AFC with a lot of quality contenders. I've got a couple more questions about the Titans, obviously, but tell me what is it about the Colts that you think has them uh, insufficient? Well, they're not very good at receiver or cornerback. It doesn't seem like they did a lot to address either of those spots. And I'm also not convinced that by merely putting Carson Wentz back with Frank Reich, everything's magically fixed in, in one offseason. I would think that it would take some time to work through some of those issues to get him back to where he, where he was, if he gets back to where he was. I mean, we've seen quarterbacks have a good year or two get hurt, lose their way, and not make it back. I'm just surprised how many people automatically presume he will be what he was. Um, I'm not convinced. I like Chris Ballard a lot. I, I, I like the core that they have there a lot, particularly on, on the lines. Um, but I don't know if they have enough on the perimeter um, to, to, to do damage. And um, I understand wanting to re-sign your own guys and keep yourself in good financial shape. But I thought they had to go out there and do do something a little bit aggressive in terms of uh, of, of getting a couple outsiders with uh, with their cap surplus. And I thought they were a little bit not a little bit. I thought they were a lot of bit too timid. I mean, Julio Jones wasn't particularly expensive. That's a guy to me who, you know, would have looked awfully good in Indianapolis. And it didn't seem like they were even dipping their toe in the water. Going back to the Titans, you mentioned the defense, you know, kind of held them back a little bit last year. What do you think went so wrong and what hope do they have that, that it can get better? Well, what went wrong, there's a team who says their number one characteristic for players is that they love ball. They brought in Vic Beasley. I, I mean, I, I, you could have called any number of people in Atlanta would, would have told you that Vic Beasley doesn't love ball. So he gamed them out of nine and a half million dollars and they were counting on him to boost their pass rush. He didn't do anything. They cut him six or seven games into the season after giving him 9.5 for free. Uh, he didn't show up for training camp for 10 days inexplicably. Uh, Jadavian Clowney's completely an overrated player. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you guys have these magic eyes where you can see a guy kind of stand around and do nothing, but he's got this unbelievable influence on the game and, uh, you know, the rest of us aren't smart enough to understand the magnitude of the ways he influences things without getting anywhere near the quarterback. I hope the guys at Cleveland are smart enough to understand this. We weren't in Nashville, a lot of us. He didn't do much in the eight games that, that, that he played. They had no depth uh, at outside linebacker once those two guys didn't pan out. They got hurt at cornerback when Adoree Jackson came back. With uh, three games left, he played like he didn't care. 
Um, I can't believe the contract he got in New York. Maybe he's got a resurgence, but I had no problem with their moving on there. So six of their top 12 are new, starting with Bud Dupree, who, you know, I don't know that he's the greatest pass rusher out there, but he's certainly better than anything they had. Danico Autry's a better defensive end than anything they had. Denoris Jenkins will play the Malcolm Butler role, and then they got a bunch of young cornerbacks, uh, starting with Caleb Farley, that they need to, to take off. So they basically blame last season on the personnel, and uh, they've changed a lot of the personnel. They think that's the answer. This year it'll be on the coaching. Shane Bowen is officially the defensive coordinator last year. He was last year without the title. He's got the title this year. He said he's got the final word. He needs to make better calls with better people. You know, a year ago, last season, I would have argued, I, I thought the Titans were maybe better than the Bills, if not equal and a bad matchup for the Bills. I thought there was a team that Buffalo didn't want to have to go play in the second round of the playoffs. What was your perception on the flip side of that? Do Titans fans worry about playing the Bills or, or competing with the Bills in the AFC? Man, I think Titans fans should have been worried about anybody that had a, a quarterback who could throw the ball down the field uh, based on their inability to, to stop people on third down. So, um, you know, they had beaten Baltimore the year before in the playoffs in Baltimore when Baltimore was the number one seed. But I think they were more equipped uh, against Lamar Jackson than, than Josh Allen or, or anybody who's a more conventional quarterback, if you will. Um, and they tanked against the Ravens who figured out a way to stop Derrick Henry. And then the offense let him down, really. Ryan Tannehill had a bad day. Arthur Smith had a bad day. Corey Davis disappeared, like not figuratively, literally, like he was on the bench starting in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter inexplicably um, and unexplained. So uh, their defense didn't even really have a chance to let them down, and, and Baltimore didn't have to do much. But – Last year's defense, I, I think, wasn't, wasn't going to go very far in the playoffs as compared to the year before when you remember they won uh, at New England, won at Baltimore, ran out of gas in Kansas City where they were overmatched like most teams are. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there'd be an interesting matchup with, with Buffalo again. I'm looking forward to seeing that in the regular season. Got to get people to stop jumping off bridges down here and onto tables. We've got cement. I don't know if everything is padded up there or what, but um, that'd be a good extra story not to have out of that game here, somebody fracturing a vertebrae or something. I wouldn't count on it. Yeah, probably just got a plan for it, right? Was that Nashville that that happened? Uh, the yeah. guy, and he didn't break his neck, but it sure looked like it. Matthew, yeah, was, Matthew was sitting next to me in the press box, and he kept saying, should we go cover this? A guy may, We may have just watched a guy die. Uh, trying yeah. to be a people student. didn't know for a few hours what had happened to him and you know, yeah he, got he screwed himself hospital. up really bad he jumped like off off the beginning part of a pedestrian bridge like a steep cement incline and it was a pretty decent drop from there to to where he went so they had to look for less height i think and he missed the table right yeah, he either I think he missed, missed it or he brushed it or it was a weak table and it didn't make much of a difference in terms of slowing the fall. I mean, yeah, gravity works here uh, pretty well. <laughs> Paul, what do you think uh, will happen at tight end for the Titans? Because it was a strength last year. And with that running game, of course, you know, Julio Jones mitigates maybe their need for tight end. But what do they do with that position? 
I mean, I think right now they've got a flashing neon light. They played, I just looked this up at Warren Sharp's, uh, Warren Sharp's sorry, uh, site. They still played the most too tight in the league last year, 35%. So that probably comes down because they're, they've got a good package of three wide right now, obviously. But um, if, you, if you play two, uh, three wide, you're either putting Anthony Ferks around the field, who's got really good hands, a nice pass catcher, who's not going to block an outside linebacker or a defensive end, or you're putting Jeff Swain or a no-name guy who's up and coming now on the field as a blocker, uh, and you're telegraphing run. So it seems to me a bit of a flashing neon sign about your intentions, which maybe isn't the worst. If you've got Derrick Henry running, a lot of people know it's coming anyway. Running, It's not like they're going to surprise people by being targeted, but I think you're making it a little bit harder on yourself. And this has been a tight end centric team, really its whole existence in Tennessee. Uh, this is the least talented they've been. John Robinson said after the Julio Jones trade, no, we can't really give up, a, a, you know, any kind of draft pick of significance or take on any kind of contract of significance at tight end. So everybody's been waiting for the trade there. And Titans fans are getting spoiled. You know, Clowney came on late, even though he didn't do anything. Julio Jones is coming on late. They think there are three periods for player acquisition and free agency in March, the draft in April, and now like June, July, August, where they, these are really outliers. So I think if, if these guys don't pan out, maybe they'll be looking for somebody late camp when cuts come around. Cause, and they certainly don't have any depth, even if these two frontliners do enough for them. So I, I think it's the one real problematic spot on offense. But, you know, they may be able to make it work because the four eligibles before the tight end, they're going to be pretty damn good. Bills fans have been clamoring for uh, their team to pick up Zach Ertz, who's uh, been dangled by Philly. And you mentioned John Robinson saying that there's really no um, – palette or ability to absorb a player like him or to give up a draft pick for, for him. But it is uh, we we've known general managers and coaches to lie plenty over the years uh, is would Zach Ertz be somebody that the bills uh, might have to worry lands in Tennessee instead of Buffalo. I think the tight uh, Titans fans would love that. They've been talking about Zach Ertz forever. I would think he's too expensive and, uh, You'll have to remind me about his injury history, but I'm thinking he's a, he's a dinged-up guy, isn't he? They, um, they've taken on a lot of injury guys. I mean, obviously, Brown's coming off – I mean, uh, Jones is coming off the injury year. They're thinking he's okay. Um, you know, they've got Lawan coming off an ACL. They've got Dupree coming off an ACL, who probably would be a late starter this season. They drafted Caleb Farley with uh, coming off a microdisectomy. I don't know how much injury risk you can, can continue to take on either. So I think that would be a factor for them as well. I'll be surprised if they take on somebody of Ertz's stature, though I, they could use it. Paul, what do you think of the Titans? Titans are an interesting team because they've got this core of players that they should be in this window where they can contend for a Super Bowl. But I think the big question is at quarterback – and I'm curious what what you think internally maybe the belief is in Ryan Tannehill to be that guy, you know, long-term, or if uh, this is kind of an important year for him in that regard. Why, why do you think he's a question? 
I mean, he had a terrible playoff game last year. The playoffs before that, Henry was running wild and they didn't need him. Outside of the playoffs, he's been phenomenal. I think there's some who would say, uh, and I I don't know if I fall into this camp or not because I haven't seen him play this year, but a lot of people give a lot of credit to what the offensive coordinator did there the last few years, what they do off a of play action, that maybe he's a, a product of circumstances. Is this You think this is a guy that can keep them in Super Bowl contention year after year? I think they could win a Super Bowl with him. And I, I don't understand quarterbacks getting scored down for having good coordinators who know how to use them. Isn't that what we want from a coordinator, to use his quarterback properly? I, I, I'm not putting this on you, but it, there seems to be a lot of this around the country. Like, oh, well, they run so much play action, it covers up Tannehill. They run play action, and Tannehill's terrific at play action. So it's good coaching, and it's good quarterbacking. He runs really well, so they hand the ball to Henry a bunch. And every once in a while, they fake it to, to Henry, and Tannehill runs wide open into the end zone. Do we score Tannehill down because nobody's touching him when he runs, or do we say, hey, that's a really well-designed run play? I, he's getting punished a lot for being successful out of their circumstances. I think he should get graded up for being successful in their circumstances. Like, they know how to use him, and he's excelling at what they do. I thought that's the whole point of, of the whole deal. How do you envision the transition from away from Arthur Smith? How do you think this offense will look different or how it will fare in that transition? Well, I, I think like we're talking about, they have to switch to more three wide. That's based on the personnel. I think Arthur Smith's really smart and did a really excellent job. And I think he'll do a really excellent job calling plays for the Falcons and probably as the, uh, as the CEO uh, for that team. Um, so they're going to miss him. But Todd Downing, I think, was partly hired here um, for this in case this happened. Um, he only had a year as the Raiders offensive coordinator. It wasn't a good year. But I think he's a bright guy, too. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot here about the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. Shane Bowen's in a position where he really has to do things right in order for the defense to work. I think Downey's in, Downing's in a position where he really has to do things wrong for it not to work based on the personnel he has and what he inherits. Uh, you know, the, the hey, we've character. all over the course of our careers as sports writers, we've seen plenty of offensive coordinators who figure out a way. Yeah, I think he's smart enough to know. First and foremost, the formula here is pretty simple, starting with Derrick Henry, right? I mean, this guy is a, a very, very unique running back. If he doesn't run into his wall, which is coming at some point, but there are no signs of that, and they surely think he's got two or three years more, uh, and that's their window, um, you start by giving the ball to Derrick Henry and you build everything else off of that. If they really bring people forward on Derrick Henry, well, you've got Julio Jones and A.J. Brown running around, you know? Uh, one of those guys is probably getting doubled. The one that doesn't get doubled is is probably going to have an advantageous matchup. Josh Reynolds is probably never getting doubled and is going to have advantageous matchups. I think I think Tim Downing is smart enough to realize all these simple things, um, and 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 that they'll be able to take advantage of those things. This team scored thirty a game last year. Uh, I would think they've put themselves in position to to be around there. Uh, or better, and the defense now, you know, is equipped to not give up 27 a game, they would hope. So it sounds like to me, based on what you said earlier, that if you were, you know, throwing a 
you know, throwing on your prognosticator's cap that you would have had, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you don't wear a cap, especially not on the air. No. But if you were going to guess, you would have the, uh, even before the Julio Jones trade, you would have uh, picked the Titans to win the AFC South. No, before, uh, before the Julio Jones trade, I, uh, I would have had to see some stuff. But, yeah, it would have been more about my lack of faith in the Colts than it would have been about my, my faith in the Titans. I feel pretty good about them now. So I put myself in a hole and I'm not a, I don't do prognosticating, Tim, you know, at our time at ESPN, I was fighting hard against them, making us pick stuff. And, uh, and I won for a couple more years after you left, but ultimately they made us pick. I hate rooting for picks. Last year I went out of limit. I picked the Titans to go to the Super Bowl uh, in the pre before the season started. Um, so I can't do that this year. So, um, you know, I, I still think Kansas City is the cream of the crop. I like Buffalo a lot, and uh, and I see potential for. I don't like Baltimore. I, I just think uh, Lamar Jackson's too limited for it to work sustained. Um, you're going to have to throw the ball on the perimeter with some sustained success at some point, and I don't know that they can do that on a regular basis. Uh, even even having drafted and uh, you know a good receiver and brought in one. Um, but I, I think the Chargers could maybe do some damage if the coach is good. I like their personnel. I like the Browns. Uh, so I, I think it'll be really interesting. And I won't be surprised if Kansas City gets picked off. And the Titans are one of the teams that can do it. And, and the Bills are one of the teams that could do it. I, I mean, the Bills are very nicely built. Out of the AFC East, I'll throw the Miami Dolphins in the conversation. Yeah, I like I them mean, too. If we're I don't say like the, Chargers... the quarterback that much. I don't like the quarterback that much, but I like what they've got around the quarterback very much. And I think the coach is excellent. Uh, before we let you go, Paul, I know your arm's getting tired. Um, I've done a good job changing. You have. You have. And you're usually, uh, when you need to worry about your arm strength while you're online, you usually, uh, it's not for this long. Yeah. Uh, uh, you speak from experience. <laughs> you know it. Uh, what's, uh, what are your thoughts on your beloved Yankees? They suck. I, I mean, it's such a badly constructed roster to not have lefties. They stu they've stuck with Sanchez far too long. He's hot right now. They should deal him immediately for anything they could get and just uh, sacrifice the idea that there's going to be uh, bursts of, of a hot bat from catcher. Guy can't run the bases. He's on second base with nobody on first base, and he runs. Are we still talking in metaphors here? Shortstop. Are, we still no, talking in, are we still talking in metaphors when you're talking about bursts of hot bat? No. I'm talking about that he can hit once in a while. There's a I ground see. ball to shortstop after he hits a double and he runs. I mean, I'm about to throw batting practice to my kid who's 11. He hasn't run on that play since he was six. I, I just don't understand what they're doing. And I'm not big on firing people, but I think it's about time somebody got fired. Uh, uh, and I'm not sure. Uh, I'm talking about Boone. I might be talking about Cashman. I don't know how he put this team together and thought that, that it was sufficient. They got guys playing out of position. They got no no lefties for a stadium that's built for lefties. It, it makes no sense. And I, I I stay with this even if they win ten out of twelve and get into first place. There's no way the Red Sox should be better than the Yankees right now. No way. Just in the last question for me, uh, the, this whole controversy with the pitching and the uh, tackification of the ball and the fingers and stuff and Garrett Cole getting caught up in that. Uh, I'm sure you got a, you got an opinion on it. Why is this not a huge scandal? This is massive. I, 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 are we so weary now of scan the sports scandals that we just give up? 
I mean, this is ridiculous that people are doing this. And Major League Baseball makes it like it's some federal issue or, or we're more worried that pace of play is going uh, to be affected if we deal with it. Have a damn umpire walk to the mound with the pitcher every inning with his glove in the umpire's hand, while he, his glove in his hat while he checks it out. you got to stop it immediately. I don't care that Garrett Cole is a chief offender. I don't care that everybody's doing it. Go from everybody doing it to nobody doing it. Restore normal baseball where a hitter can actually, uh, you know, hit. Nobody wants to see the league hit 238. Nobody wants to see this develop for five years. Be fucking proactive and discover something as it's happening instead of after it's happened. I'm watching more baseball than ever, despite the fact that you're screwing up the game monumentally yet again. It's pretty amazing that they can't, the amount of things that they police, and yet, like you said, an umpire can't just walk out to the mound with the pitcher at the start of every inning. Like, this needs to be something that players are policing themselves on. It's just a bizarre, uh, the latest in a long line of bizarre happenings in baseball. And why does the union have to be such a factor? I mean, it's the union's batters who are getting screwed, too. The union should want fair play. If the union's pitchers are going to be upset, well, the union's batters should be happy. So doesn't that, isn't that a wash? I mean, it's already the hardest, one of the hardest things to do in sports is to hit a baseball against some of these pitchers who are throwing hundred miles an hour and making it any harder is, is not helping things. So stupid. Well, Paul, uh, your son, you're getting ready to throw BP to your son. I got to go pick him up and then we're going to come out to these fields that I'm near and, uh, we're going to work on getting his uh, getting stuff back up the middle. And uh, he's, he's a good bunter, but lately he's been a little off. So we got to get that uh, laid down perfectly over by third base so we could use his speed next week at his tournament. And your son's 26, right? He's 11. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I remember when he was born. What was that, like 11 years ago? Yeah, about 11 <laughs> years ago. My, you and I hey, were it's great to see you. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, you know, it, it comes through. It still comes through in the texts, uh, but uh, we, we should do this more often. We don't have to do it uh, while recording, but uh, we should uh, we should check in with each other a little bit more. I, I apologize yeah, for, for not no, being for doing that, but uh, I hope it was good. Really. And I'm glad that we helped that guy not win that thing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, have fun with that, fellas. Dig into that, guys. (laughs) Hey, Paul, thanks for doing this. Take care. Enjoy BP. Great to see you, my friend. Uh, Sorry, boys, about about your work partner here. (laughs) Nothing we can do. Yeah. Cheers. All righty. Take care, Paul. All right, that's Paul Kaharski. You can check him out at OutKick360 for his coverage on the Titans. And, of course, as you can tell, uh, he's got opinions about a bunch of stuff. A really entertaining guy. Um, he is one of those, you know, he's one of those guys. He obviously has a shtick. He lays it on a bit, but you get it off the air too. Uh, and it is, uh, it is a hoot. So it is not, uh, it's not disingenuous. I wouldn't say, uh, if you say something's for effect, is that's not the same as disingenuous, but, uh, he, he knows, let's put it this way. He knows he's a load. And, uh, and he gets a kick out of doing it and getting that reaction. Um, but uh, good dude. Uh, so our thanks to Paul Kaharski. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, Jonah, Matthew, uh, any topics uh, to throw out there? 
feel like we can't uh i don't know if we can reach that that bar of enthusiasm again that now that paul has has left it feels like the air has been sucked out of the out of the room the virtual space here not a lot of energy um what's going on with the bills anything to talk about since it's been a mostly football uh, broadcast well let's just throw it out there what's what's a general any anything no They've had uh, a few OTA practices that they've allowed us to watch. They're slowly getting back to normal attendance and they're getting closer to having everybody there. Really just the, the defensive line seems to be late to the party. Jerry Hughes's wife is very pregnant down in Texas. So I assume that is why I'm not even expecting him at mandatory minicamp next week. Um, Star Latule is out working out somewhere, so he's getting ready for the season. He's just doing it on his own. Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders missed last week, but I would expect most everybody to be back for mandatory minicamp. Three days in a row next week, you get a bigger sample size, more context. When you see one practice a week for three weeks, a guy could have a lousy day. They could be trying something out new. You don't really get a much of a picture. So we'll have a little snippet of a preview. Um, they're not going back to St. John Fisher for training camp. They may never go back to St. John Fisher for training camp, which is fine. Um, you know, I, I, I like it being right down the road from my house as opposed to 90 minutes away, but it's an interesting situation that they have going because Brandon Bean spoke on it and said, you know, they, that it didn't have anything to do with the vaccine and the, the rate of vaccination on the team. But then, you know, I was talking about the protocols, which do have something to do with the vaccine. So I think the space at St. John Fisher just wasn't good enough, regardless of what level of vaccination they have. There's still going to be some protocols. It's just too tight. Didn't make sense compared to what they have at home. The contract's now up. So they can kind of, they're training camp free agents a little bit. And uh, I think they've got a pretty good setup at home. I know they, they've talked a lot about how they like going away, but that might've just been lip service to their partners, uh, you know, down in Rochester and the fans there. I think uh, last year showed that staying home got them pretty prepared for the season. So that's your, uh, your bills in two minutes, I guess. Yeah, interesting about uh, training camp. Um, and, of course, you have to rely on St. John Fisher staff so heavily. Um, food services, security, all the different things that have to happen there on campus. Uh, and all those people would then have to fall in line with the NFL's testing protocols. And those people don't work for the Bills. Um, so that would have been probably a, a big enough headache just to say, Hey, let's just keep it all in house and not have to worry about it. Um, yeah, I don't smaller. really have a meeting spaces are smaller. Um, if there, if you get weather, you're kind of screwed there as opposed to an orchard park. I mean, from a football standpoint, they're so much better off in orchard park. Uh, I think that's true pandemic or not, but especially with the pandemic, they're a lot better. Why spend all that money on that facility? If not for, you know, the time when guys are using it the most, I would say, you know, in terms of getting ready for the season. So they were shortening their time there before the pandemic. If you remember the year before uh, COVID 2019, they had their fewest practices there. They didn't, 
you know, really do the night practices in front of the fans. So they, they've started to shorten it uh, each year. I understand the, the football guy thing of bonding and going away and, you know, being with your brothers and whatnot. But to me, the work that they get done seems like it would be a lot more efficient. And frankly, I know every team has to come together in its own way, but this team is, you know, they brought back a lot of pieces. These guys know one another. They're pretty tight. They'll get together off the field anyways, uh, you know, during training camp. They don't need to be crammed into dorm rooms together to, to have some bonding. So I think, I think they're totally fine. I know people kind of dance around the whole thing because it's like, oh, yeah, we love the fans in Rochester. I'm sure the fans in Rochester would, would sacrifice never seeing the, the Bills in training camp again if it meant that the team consistently won games. And uh, it's not to say well, that attendance away was is the reason they didn't, but attendance was negligible and getting wor- seemingly worse every year. Of course, coming off of you know a season like this with Josh Allen and there's an excitement. There wasn't that malaise of just the, of the drought, but attendance hadn't been great in recent years. You'd get the autograph seekers and you'd get some kids from the school local schools, but rarely did you see the diehard Bills fan out there with his roster. You know, looking at you know who who the next, you know, checking, checking out the team type thing. It was corporate stuff. I mean, it was all just people who were there. Just yeah, it'd be, to it would be good for a few days. You and know, you'd get, not many. it'd be good for like opening day and, you know, the first night practice when they would do those, you know, you'd get a pretty good crowd, but Sean McDermott, I think what I noticed having covered, you know, a few coaches before him, he stayed away from that turf field that was a big, you know, draw for fans because this, you know, the setup is a lot better. You can see a lot more. It felt like we were out there covering practice a lot with Doug Marone and Rex Ryan and Sean McDermott was out on those grass fields, sometimes in that back corner field, like tucked way in the back that is terrible for fans. So it was always a utility thing for Sean McDermott. Like I'm going to, practice where it is best for my football team not where it is best for my football team to be seen and so yeah I remember the atmosphere at a few of those early training camp practices in the Rex Ryan and Doug Marone eras where you know you'd have a good crowd and Sean McDermott set up the schedule not for maximizing fan viewership but for maximizing you know performance and you know um, you know, exercise science and had all, all this calculated. So if you're doing it from that standpoint, if you're looking at it from that, you would say, all right, here's team bonding, which you can't really calculate or put a number on. And here's all the things you can put a number on nowadays, uh, especially with their sports performance team. And I would imagine a lot of that is a lot better. Guys are getting better sleep. Guys are on grass more often. They've got more space. They've got access to all these facilities it's just objectively a lot better place to do camp. And the only real argument otherwise is, well, they don't get to bond. I mean, I don't know what that does for the team, but there's ways to facilitate that without putting them into dorm rooms and making them sleep on crappy mattresses. If bonding was so important, then the coaches who do practice at their home facilities, which is a majority would have their guys bring in cots or sleeping bags or whatever, and we'll all get around and we'll, we'll do 
you know, little um, team bonding things like uh, the trust fall and we'll do all this stuff. Maybe we'll do some. I think the Fal- didn't the Falcons build dorm rooms. There was a team that built dorms at their facility. I think the Falcons camp. do have something like that because they have a, but it's also considered the off the charts. It's like a country club. Like you drive up to it and it's a place that you don't want to leave. It's got everything. That's so one of the, one of the things. Baltimore yeah. also, I think is, has a, has a, has a really decked out facility. That's kind of the thing is you're assuming that the only way to bond is to go to St. John Fisher college and that by leaving there, there will be no bonding taking place whatsoever. Last year, there was zero bonding. It was literally prohibited to bond. You could not do it. You had to stay six feet away from one another. You could not hang out outside of the facility. You could not be friends. You were just to go to work and do football. And that was it. The most bonding happened on the field. That was as close as you could get to one another. And they had the best season they've had in years. So I think. It's because the other 31 teams weren't allowed to bond. They were all at a deficit. But you think. Josh Allen will have, have the boys over from time to time. Jerry Hughes and Micah Hyde have been known to do the same. Plenty of opportunities to make that type of thing happen. And all they talked about all last year was how much they missed it and how bummed they were that they couldn't do that type of thing and how hard it was. And they won a ton of games. So I think I know there's some people that have a, a sentimental pull to St. John Fisher, and I'm sure the Rochester fans like the ease of access to getting a look at their team. But like I said, I'm pretty sure they would all trade that for a successful team. Not to say that it's a dramatic difference where they're doing training camp, but I would say uh, I think it's a measurable improvement on their ability to prepare for the season being here in Orchard Park. Buffalo fans like it out there too. As you mentioned though, when it's on the turf field, Later in the afternoon, evening practices, not starting at 8 a.m. They like the access, the autograph potential. But a diminishing crowd, seemingly. Because the practices were all at 8 in the morning. And some of them weren't open to fans. And some of them were on that corner field where it was really hard to see. And I will be interested to see what they do for fans because that was always my thought was, you know, the fan – interaction thing is nice you know it's a good setup for it at that college but you could recreate that in Orchard Park pretty easily I would think I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off this year Brandon Bean made it sound like they would figure some stuff out in the stadium and those would be the practices that are open and I think it'll make it pretty interesting uh, you know inside baseball stuff you know for some people but when practices are open to the fans, we can report pretty much whatever we want because any average Joe is sitting in the stands seeing all the same things we're seeing. And when it's not open to fans, they can get a little funny with their reporting rules. And I mean, these guys look for an edge any way they can find it. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, a little bit more limited access to fans for that reason. But I think in the future, they have the space to put bleachers around the practice fields and you know on the days that they can put up with being on turf they can go in the stadium and invite people out and obviously they have plenty of space there so again it doesn't seem like fans were necessarily the priority with this decision but 
in a manner of speaking, they were because they want to win football games. They want to get the team ready to try to win a Super Bowl, which would probably make the fans happier than any autograph, I would think. What about the media that likes drinking at the Pittsburgh pub and sleeping in the dorms and being away from their wives for two weeks? They didn't think about them either. <laughs> well, I, for one, am, am glad to not have to sleep in a dorm, uh, make that drive, put those miles on my car, uh, go to the Pittsburgh pub. I, I, I won't speak for, for anybody else and maybe the, the vacation they like to take there uh, from home, but uh, I'm certainly... I was crossing my fingers that this would be the case. Uh, I'm about I'm approximately like 70 miles closer to the uh, stadium in Orchard Park than I am St. John Fisher College and saves a lot of hours and sleeping on that dorm bed. Timmy knows. Not, not great. No, I don't. I never. Well, I slept in one in college, but I never did that. I never did the dorm bed you know, I know that there are other, there were some reporters out there that would bring their stuff. Well, you've done it. Um, I think Joe, Joe Biscaglia has done it. Uh, yeah. I've you see guys, they show up with their, I could, I just couldn't do it. Number one, I think those mattresses are too short for me, um, but I have Marriott points and I would, I, if I had, if I ever needed to stay over, I was staying in a hotel. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do that whole dorm, that dorm scene. It was pretty it was fine when I, when I first starting out, I was just in college. So I was like, you know, jumping onto the beat, like barely settled in my own apartment and didn't know anybody. So I was like, I'll stay out here and hang out for, that was a long camp. My first camp 2014, it was like five weeks long because the stadium was under construction and uh, the locker rooms were being renovated. So they stayed out there a while and they had the hall of fame game and they had a, a, um, joint practice with the Steelers. So they were away there. Um, a lot of, that was a, a long camp and it was, you know, fine to hunker down in the dorm rooms and, you know, it didn't make a difference to me whether I was in Rochester and Buffalo, both places felt equally like home, uh, at that point. But now I don't know, you can't, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that I, a lot, the last few years I was doing a lot of commuting, like going back and forth just because I didn't want to, cause the practices were in the morning, you know, and you didn't want to, be done working at two o'clock and then just like sit out there all day. So um, I don't know. I, I'd like, I think that this is more permanent than they were willing to let on the other day, but their options are open. Maybe they could go do the camp at, at I don't know, any old college that they, they chose. Maybe they'll do what the Cowboys do and, you know, maybe, fly out to California or something and do something weird. I mean, if bonding is that important, uh, go get yourself a facility that, that is up to your standards and, and go get after it. The Saints why, went to why? West Virginia. Yeah. Matthew, why does Sean McDermott, he always says, I like going away to training camp when all evidence and what you hear kind of behind the scenes suggests that he doesn't really like going away to at least St. John Fisher and this, training camp situation that they have set up i think he says that because he has i think he says it because there's part there is a part of it that he likes i think he likes kind of what you're talking about uh that you jokingly referred to with the media the whole like getting away for two weeks and or three weeks whatever it is and the 
being pulled away from the distractions of home just for a few weeks, the three, two, three weeks that you're, it's all football, it's all teammates. It's all, you know, all that, that stuff that football guys like. They did it in Carolina. They did it in Philadelphia. It's what he's known. I think there's a nostalgic element to it for him. You know, it's what the league, most of the league used to do. Uh, And now it's becoming increasingly rare. I also think he says it, and I think Brandon Bean says it and makes a point to say it so much because they had the existing contract. They had sponsors to please, and they had more to lose by saying, we hate this, you know, and getting people talking about, oh, they're going to, you know, they had no reason to want to put St. John Fisher College on blast and say, you know, what is this nonsense? Like, we don't want to do this. And uh, so I think part of it was, you know, a little bit of pandering and, and pleasing the, the sponsors, the fans out there not wanting to offend anybody. But I do think there was an element, especially I, probably in his early years, where the, the benefit of that was tangible in some way, where it was like, this is a new thing. And we're all going to go into the the bunker together and come out ready to play a season, you know, at, you know, in his first couple of years coaching the team when he had to win guys over. Now it feels like a lot of that, you know, the, the bonds have formed, the team has been formed and they can focus a little bit more on what's actually better for getting the work in and, you know, getting yourself ready. But I think it's a mixture of things that makes him, makes him say that, but I don't think it's like he's panicking that they're not going to St. John Fisher college. I certainly don't think he's um, super bent out of shape about it. Um, And they'll find other ways to, to come together and build lifelong friendships and whatnot. Especially whatnot. What have you. Well, we had a full episode, I think. We reconnected with Paul Kaharski of Outkick 360 to talk about the Titans. We learned the ESPN pal. Yeah, we, have, we were scolded. We got some show notes, some uh, tips for improvement. And Paul is a pro. Paul has a pretty damn successful show. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking next week you're going to see me in a collar and uh, perfectly quaffed hair as he stands I, I there collar and no hat and he's acting like you guys in your hats and your t-shirts like i don't even exist yeah you were the example he should have been uh, propping you up but as he stands there with his you know holding his holding his phone out with one arm and shaking you know like he's uh you know he's got he's backing up in his car he's i don't know as my shaking, uh, so as my dad used to say, like a dog shitting razor blades. Uh, he had a couple you know, others. He had a couple should, others. I can't say. Even we should have had Sully that. on to uh, combat Paul's. Sully wears hats uh, every day in the right. press box everywhere. Um, what was that, Johnny? We should have Sully, Paul, and Chris Baker on to just have the total cognitive dissonance video segment i like it i think they'd be a good uh a good mix it's it's so hard to keep up with if you try to dress to please the old guard of sports writers you will be 
changing your, you better bring multiple outfits. Cause when I would walk into the press box in a suit jacket, uh, you know, nice shoes or whatever, Sully would yell at me. What are you doing? Like, we're not going to a, you know, a funeral. Like we're covering a ball game. Like why are you so dressed up? You know, Sal Marana yells at us when we, Oh, look at you, you know, uh, like we're trying to show somebody up and then, I don't know, you try to bring a relaxed vibe and have a good time on a show and Paul Kaharski slams you for wearing a hat in the middle of June. I mean, you just can't, you can't please everybody. Nope. Just be yourself. It's all that you can be. That's what Jonah does. Mm-hmm. And it works for me. A woman at Wegmans told me she liked my hair the other day. Unprompted. I can't remember the last time I got a compliment. <laughs> Away from home or at home. She startled me. I thought she was going to ask me for money, but she just wanted to tell me she likes my hair. All right. Uh, thanks to Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times and Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. This has been yet another episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.